Good morning, Life Center. Thank you. How's everybody doing? Who's glad to be in church today? It is December. It is December. That means the year is almost gone. It feels like last week we started 2018 because the older you get, the faster it goes. That's just how that works. The older you get, the faster it goes. And it feels like we just started this year, and we are literally, what, four weeks away from January 2019. Who's ready for that? No. Nah. It's good to see everybody here. How about that closeout last week of the, of the blessed life? That was insane. It was really, really good stuff. Pastor Andrew did an absolutely amazing job. And what an amazing series that's been this year. I'm looking, I need a, I need a frequency pulled out or something. I'm looking forward to what, what, what's going to happen. We did this, we started this series in the spring. We followed up again in November, and we're going to keep going in this series next year at some point. And I'm looking forward to what's going to happen because. When we enact principles, because God is a principle-based God, when we enact principles that are outlined in God's word, the result of those principles and us living them is a blessed life. That's just what happens. When we live by the principles that God put in place, a blessed life follows. But this is the Christmas season. It's the most wonderful time of the year. It is the most wonderful time of the year. It's the season. There, now, I wasn't being sarcastic. It's the season where we celebrate the birth of our Savior. So today, in honor of the season, we're starting this series, His Name Will Be. A lot goes into picking a name. Parents, think about when you pick the names for your kids. Think, think back for a minute. For some of you, it's a long way. So think back a minute for when you pick the kids' names. I like that one. No, I don't like that one. If we have a boy and a girl, they're going to they're gonna clash. It's not going to sound right. We got Our kids, are, they both start with T because Tawana's name is T, so we did all T's. So we had to fall in the T category. Some of y'all are M categories. Whatever your category is, you pick names that would fit in there. You can't name them after the crazy uncle or aunt. You can't name them some crazy name because that just wouldn't be right because you don't want your kid to get beat up at school. You should think about those things. I don't want them to be called junior. If there's any juniors, okay, that's cool. Well, my parents, when they named me, my dad's name is Rodney Clifton. And my mom said, I don't want him to be called junior. So my name is Rodney Scott. So I have my dad's first name, but I have a different middle name. My son has my middle name. He's not a junior either. So we, we pick and we choose and we piece together names And all this stuff to make it perfect. I know someone who works in a situation where where they come across names all the time. And occasionally they will send messages out telling us some names that parents have named their kids. And sometimes I wonder what parents are thinking. They They are giving their kids a destiny of getting beat up in middle school. What I'm about to tell you is is the gospel. It's truth. I'm not making this up. A mom and dad had a son and a daughter, named them the king and the queen. 
I'm not joking. That really happened. One girl was named Prince Attila. So do you call her Tilly? Do you call her Princey? What do you call her? And one dude's name, first and last, is Major Slappy. Can you imagine being in middle school and somebody just walking up behind you? What's up, Slappy? And hitting him in the back of the head or on the, in the face? Parents, when you have babies, think about middle school. And think about high school. And don't name your child something that will cause them grief as they get older. A safe name. Something that's easy to spell. Every time I tell somebody my wife's name, how do you spell that? I said, just like it sounds, T-A-W-A-N-A, Tawana. Right, it's, it's simple. Be kind to your kids. But in, in this series, that we're going to talk about what Isaiah said was going to be what Jesus was going to be called. And he wrote this about 700 years before Jesus came on the scene. And you may have heard the scripture, but we're going to go through it. In, in Isaiah 9, 6, we'll, we'll hit this every week. For unto us a child is born. This is Isaiah writing 700 years before Jesus. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. His name will be. And today we're going to talk about a wonderful counselor. So Isaiah begins by using this word, wonderful. And in, in the original text, it basically means that, that he is going to be a wonder. Like it's not going to make logical sense who he is. It's not going to be logical what he does. He's going to be basically above explanation because our language is finite and we can only come up with so many adjectives to describe someone. But he's going to be wonderful. He's going to be God in the flesh. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. And even through all of this and all of the wonderful things that he is going to do in his greatness, he is still going to know us. He knows us. He cares for us. He understands exactly what we are going through. If you're going through something today, which some, in the room this size, there will be people in this room that will be going through something hard. You're facing a trial. Something's happening in your life. It happened yesterday. It happened last week. It's been happening for months. That something is just wearing you out and wearing you down. Jesus understands what you are going through. Therefore, he can be our wonderful Counselor, in, in Hebrews 4, listen to the way he's described. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Our high priest, my high priest, your high priest... That's who Jesus is, but he's awesome, he's wonderful, he's powerful, he knows everything, he sees everything, but he also understands when I feel sad. That's quite a spectrum. He also understands my weaknesses and my flaws. He understands what I go through, he understands my pain, he understands 
my hurt. Our wonderful counselor, he knows what we are going through because he's been through it. He was tempted in every single way that we're going to be tempted, but he did not sin. He did not fail. What's one of the go-to scriptures around here? In this world, you will have trouble. Jesus himself said this. You will, you will have trouble. You will be tempted. You will feel pain. You will be hurt. But he said, take heart. Don't be afraid because I have already overcome the world. He's saying, don't lose heart. Don't feel like it's hopeless because I've felt what you feel right now. I've been through what you're going through, and I made it, and I'm here to help you through it because I'm your wonderful counselor. That's why verse, 15, verse 16 says to come before his throne with confidence. We can go to him confidently, A, because we know he's all-powerful, but B, we can go before him with confidence because we know he's felt what we feel. He's felt pain. He's felt hurt. He's felt betrayal. He's felt hopelessness. He's felt fear. Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. I don't want to do this. I'm dreading this. It's going to be hurtful. It's going to be painful. But nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. That was Jesus praying in the garden before he was crucified. He understands our emotions. and He knows what we're going through. He understands our pain. Some of us might be in a significant time of need right this very second. But there's good news because... The wonderful counselor is, is here today. He's here today and he's here to help. Jesus came to give us life. He said, I've come so that you might have life and have it more abundantly. He came for the sick and hurting. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus had gone to home with Matthew, who's a tax collector. In Matthew, it says Matthew. And, and then over in Luke, it says a, a, a Levi. But he had gone to attend a party that, Peter, that Matthew threw for his friends. And the Pharisees, who were always attacking Jesus and questioning everything he did and trying to undermine him and trick him, they were upset and asked Jesus why he was hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. In Luke 5.31, Jesus answered and said, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The first thing that, that jumps out at me right there is Jesus came to help people who are hurting. Jesus came to help people who need help. But in order for Jesus to help us, we have to know that we need help. We have to acknowledge and admit the fact that we are a sinner. We have to understand that we don't have all the answers and we don't have all the solutions. If we did, we wouldn't have problems. Right? Because you would fix them all. Jesus had come for the sick and the hurting. Is anybody hurting? You don't have to raise your hands. Is anybody hurting? You're going through some stuff right now. All of us struggle from time to time. I would say at least half of this room right now is struggling with something. I'd say those are safe odds. Because you're either in the middle of something, coming out of something, or going into something. There's three stages of, of our situation. We're in it, we're coming through it, or we're going into something. We struggle. But the deal with us is some of us hide it really well. How you doing? I'm good, man. How are you? How was your day? It was fantastic. 
Somebody asked me a few minutes ago, how was your week? I'm like, it was good. Parts of it was good. But parts of it, man, they were just awful. Anybody? The deal is we need to be comfortable enough with who we are to understand that we can say, I've had a bad day. I'm struggling right now. I am going through something. Some of us hide it well, and some of the rest of us, if you're going through something, man, we can all see it. And sometimes I would rather deal with that than somebody who, who hides everything and buries it down so nobody can see. Because you can help the person you can see is in trouble. But the person that's too prideful to admit that they're in trouble or going through something, well, you're not going to get help because you're too prideful to admit that you need help. Who knows the holidays have a way of magnifying things? It's the most wonderful time of the year. But for some, it's the most stressful time of the year. The most stressful time of the year. The holidays can make good things seem better and bad things seem worse. So I'm going to ask a question right now, and I'm going to ask it again a few times through here. How are you sick? Jesus came for the sick and the hurting. He came, he, he, he came to call people to repentance and to heal people. So how are you sick? Maybe you're depressed. Maybe you wake up every day and, and wonder how you're going to pull through to get through that day. And you wake up that day ready to go to bed that night. Who? You don't raise your hand. But you crawl out of bed and hopefully go to the shower. <laughs> and you get out of the shower and you get dressed and maybe you eat, maybe you don't. I don't know. But you get in your car and you're ready to go to work and you're just thinking about crawling back in the warm bed 16 hours later. I got a hand back there. Somebody's proud to admit it. Like, just Jesus, just get me through this day. I just want to go to bed. And you feel sleepy all the time. How am I ever going to get it done? How am I going to get through this day? You have no hope that tomorrow is going to be better than this day is. You're just simply depressed, heaviness and weight and hopelessness. That's a real thing. It's a real thing. Maybe you live in fear. You're always worrying, always wondering what's going to happen. Nothing's good enough. Things can't get worse. Maybe you live with anxiety, wondering, you know, is somebody going to attack me? Is something going to go wrong? What's going to happen? I'm just afraid. Maybe you're stressed out. It's the most stressful time. Maybe you're just stressed out. You're looking at your to-do list thinking, how can I get it completed? How can I shop for everybody? How I've got family coming over. The house has got to be perfect. The meals need to be just so. And you stress. You're full of anxiety. You're sick. Maybe it's financial stress. It's like we're just hurting already, and we got now we got to pay for Christmas. Pay all these bills. The bills are coming up. How how are we ever going to get it done? Maybe you're lonely. You see happy families everywhere you're looking. You're like, why can't I have that? Why do I go to bed alone? Why do I eat alone? I hate it. I don't like this. Maybe it's a family sickness. You got some problems in your family. You got some issues in your family, and you just don't want to address them because it's going to get worse before it gets better. 
Instead of being excited about being with your family during the holidays, you dread it because you know there's going to be some blow-up of some kind. Something's go- At some point, something's going sideways. And you're the person trying to, you know, you're, you're like the cartoon with a hand out here and a hand out here and a foot here and a foot here. You're just trying to hold it all together. Maybe you're the glue. And maybe you just dread what's coming up. You don't want to be there. They don't want to be there. But you know you have to be because it's Christmas. And we're going to be together. And we may fight and we may hate it, but we're going to be there. Maybe somebody's hurt you. And you're angry, and you're hurt, and you're bitter. Where are you sick? How are you sick? We're all sick at different points in our life, and acknowledging ours is, is the deal. Answer the question, where are you sick? And remember that the good news is the wonderful counselor is here, and his name is Jesus. And he came for those who are sick. So how do we find healing in the wonderful counselor? How do we get better? I'm going to give you three things. Number one, be brutally honest with the counselor. Be brutally honest. Who can be brutally honest? Not with other people, with yourself. See, it's sometimes easier to be brutal, brutally honest with other people when you're pointing out someone else's faults. I saw a cartoon this week that had a dude trying to had a guy's head back pulling something out of his eye and he had a big, a big log sticking out of his. That's the scripture. Don't try to get the speck out of your brother's eye when you got a log in yours. It's paraphrasing, but that's what it is. Be brutally honest with Jesus. Don't front. Don't try to hide. In Growth Track, we do a, a personality assessment and a spiritual gifts assessment. And I always preface this part with... When you, when you fill this paper out, it's going to ask you very specific questions. You have to be honest. You can't be delusional about yourself. You can't take off your rose-colored glasses. Just get them off. Because if you, if you answer these questions and you project who you want to be or who you see when you look in the mirror, when you're trying to you know, feel pretty, then you're not going to get a true read of who you really are. This is a time where you have to be brutally honest. Don't project who you want to be or how you want things to be. How are things right now? Jesus came to a well one day, and there was a woman drawing water there, and he wasn't supposed to talk to her. So he talked to her, which Jesus did things that he wasn't supposed to do, according to the culture and the religion. And he talked to her and said, said you know, what, what's going on? And they started talking about water, and, he's, and he said, go get your husband. And she's like, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, no, you don't. You've had five. You've had five, and the guy you're with now is not your husband. She was hurting. She was sick. But she could have lied when she, when, when she was asked about her husband. She could have been like, well, he's at the store, or he's at the market, or he's, he's got taking care of the mule, or whatever she could lie she'd come up with. She could have said, he's a homesick in bed, and I have to go take care of him. But no, she said, I don't have one. She was brutally honest with Jesus. And he told her, no, you don't have a husband. You've had five, but this dude's not it. You're not living right. And then he proceeded to tell her who he was and what he could do, that he was the living water. And when, when she came in contact with him, that she would never thirst again, and he would heal that thing in her that she had been looking for through now six men. Let's, let's be honest about the scripture. She was with her sixth dude and hadn't found what she was looking for. And Jesus said, when I give you what I have, 
When you meet me, you will never thirst again. That, that thing that's pushing you to do what you're doing, that thing that you're doing is not your problem. It's the emptiness in here that's your problem. And when I give you my living water, you'll never thirst again. That will be healed. And she had such an amazing encounter with Jesus that she went and told everybody, you got to come to the well and see this dude. See this guy I just met who, who told me everything that I had done wrong. You may need to stop projecting to Jesus. You may need to stop projecting to Jesus and just simply be brutally honest with him. Stop acting like everything's all right. What does that mean? We can boldly approach him and let him know how we feel. We have a high priest who understands how we feel. Be brutally honest with Jesus. Instead of saying, Lord, I need some help, how about Jesus, I feel betrayed, I feel hurt, I feel alone, I'm tired. Is anybody tired? Is anybody stressed? My marriage isn't great, I need help. I'm upset that this thing I've been praying for for a long time, you haven't done this yet, you haven't answered this prayer. I'm hooked on something that's bigger than I am and stronger than I am and I need help. I've replaced one addiction with another. I don't trust people because I've been hurt. That's, that's real. That's brutally honest. That, those are feelings. Those are something that's coming from deep inside you that's hurt, that's wounded, that is sick. What we have to understand is we don't have to be good for Jesus. We don't have to be good for him to love us. We don't have to be good for him to help us. All we have to do is be honest with him. Jesus, I'm struggling with this. Please help me. Jesus, I need a better job. I've got to provide for my family. Please help me. Jesus, I've been wounded by this. Please help me. I'm giving this to you. I need help. I am trusting you. I am boldly approaching you because I know you understand how I feel. That's being real. Maybe you didn't think that you could pray like that. But you can. Jesus, I don't have a husband. No, you don't. And this sixth guy is not your husband either. You had five. This is, this is not who it is. Now let me help you with this. You admitted your problem. You spoke boldly. You were real. You were brutally honest. Now I'm going to help you. With the problem. Let the wonderful counselor know how you are and what you're feeling because he understands. Number two, listen to the counselor's voice. Jesus took Peter, James, and John up on a mountain with him. It's called the Mount of Transfiguration. And when they got up there, Jesus suddenly began shining and his, his clothes were just sparkling white and he was bright. And, and the Bible said that nothing on earth could have bleached him any whiter than what he was. So, number one, it was a freaky experience. Peter, James, and John were there. And then, and then in the middle of this, uh, Moses and Elijah showed up dead for a long, long time. And they started talking to Jesus. And Peter, James, and John witnessed this happen. And then they look back and, and, and they're, they're like, we've got to set up a memorial right here. One to Moses, one to Jesus, and one to Elijah. See, what had really happened right here is that Jesus had shown them his deity 
he had shown them who he really was. He was glowing. He was white. He was a deity. He was God. And he was standing there talking to Moses and Elijah. And they were freaked out, but they were in awe, and they wanted to build this monument right there. And then, and, and, and then this happened. In Mark 9, 7, a cloud appeared and covered them. And a voice came from the cloud, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. We have to listen to the counselor. Listen to what he says. We have to listen to Jesus. He speaks to us in many ways. There may be somebody in here who has audibly heard the voice of God. It happens. It happens. But he'll use his word. He will use people that you interact with, songs that you hear, things that you read, a daily devotion. Through That's why it's so important that we regulate what goes in our eyes and ears. Because God uses those things to, to speak to us. And if we're constantly looking at junk and listening to junk, guess what we're not going to hear? He's not going to speak to you through nasty music. Mm. That got really quiet because we, it's hard. We're, we're in basketball practice last week and, and the girls have put, uh, uh, plugged a phone into the big speakers and there's music piping through. And, and I'm hearing, it's not, it's not the explicit version. Understand there are versions of music now. If you're old like me, there are versions of music. We thought uh, Highway to Hell was bad. You know, people talk about ACDC and KISS and that kind of stuff. They got nothing on this generation. Nothing. So we're listening to... I, I'm, not, I'm coaching. I'm not paying attention to the music. I just hear the beat. And that makes them... The beat makes them run better. And it makes them shoot better. And it makes the layups go in better. It just gives them rhythm to what they do. I don't know. They like it. So I'm coaching. They're listening. And I, I'm hearing something, but I'm going to drink you. And I'm like, what are we listening to? We're in a Christian school. This should not be happening in a Christian. They have church in here. This should not be happening. Well, this is the clean version. I said, well, let's change it. It's not clean. I've got 10 teenage girls on the basketball court, and, and they're hearing this stuff. And it's projecting images in their mind. And it's telling them who to be. It's telling them how they're going to be treated. It's projecting their future because it's what's going in their ears. The voice of God is nowhere to be found. So now we listen to instrumental stuff. <laughs> it's still got the beat. It's still got the electronics, but there's no words. It's safe. It's family friendly. But I look around and they're still mouthing the words of this music. So guess where it is? It's in here, and it's in here. If I'm constantly filling my mind with filth, the voice of God is not going to get in there. So I can be brutally honest with the counselor, but unless I'm in a position where I can hear his voice, this part doesn't matter. I can talk to him all I want to, but if, I can't, if I'm not in a position where I can hear him... It's not going to matter because he's going to be talking to me and I'm not going to hear it because it's going to be drowned out by apple bottom jeans. Some of y'all start, mm hmm.
or whatever your choice of, of music is, that's, that's whatever. Listen to Jesus because he's going to speak to you in many ways. Position yourself where you can hear his voice, where he's not drowned out by everything else. As you learn to hear him, you will recognize his voice. In John chapter 10, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. And this leads us to number three. Do what the counselor says. I'm brutally honest. Jesus, I'm struggling with this. I hurt here. This is how I'm sick. And then I hear him talk to me. And he, he tells me through his word, through people confirming things in my life, what I need to do. When he tells me those things, I've got to do what the counselor. See how brutally sense, just simple this is. But it's so complicated because we we talk to Jesus, but sometimes we're not in a position to hear. And then when we're in a position to hear, sometimes we don't want to do what he says. James 1.22, don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. So don't stop at step two. Don't just listen. Do what it says. Do what the word says. John 1.1 says, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. Verse 12 says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's Jesus. So I have to listen to the word and I've got to do what the word says. I've got to do what Jesus says. Just all I have to say, I've got to do what Jesus says. And this can be tough and it will determine your future. It will determine if the end of your struggle comes or if it takes you out. Because if you struggle long enough, if you hurt long enough, it's going to have ramifications that will last generations. See, we don't just do what we do so we can have a better life right now. We all want to live our best life. We all want to have a good life right now. But some of what I do, I do for my kids. Most of what I do, I do for my kids. And I do for my grandkids. I pray blessings on my kids and my grandkids every single night. My kids are teenagers. For a few more months, I got two. About six months, I'm going to have one teenager left. Dear Jesus. <laughs> but I pray blessings on my kids and my grandkids every single night. Why? Because it's not just about me. It's about me setting the next generation up. I've got to do what the counselor says. And this is where the rubber meets the road, is doing what he says because it can be tough and it will determine where we go. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus started on his way. A man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I understand when you, when you read through this chapter, you're going to understand the mindset of this dude. This dude went up to Jesus and said, Master, good master, whatever he said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This was a good guy. He was a Jew. He was a religious guy. And see, he, was, he, he came up with the wrong motive. I believe he came up with the wrong motive. I did, wasn't there. But when you read his answer to what Jesus said, because Jesus immediately, man, he started rattling off some commandments. Honor your father and mother, blah, 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 all this stuff. And dude's just standing there. I think he knew what, I think he anticipated what Jesus was going to say, but he didn't know what was coming next. 
See, he, he assumed that Jesus would say something about the commandments. And he's standing there all smiling. A little spring in his step. He said, all these things I have done from my youth up. That's what he replied to Jesus. He's like, I'm good. I'm good, Jesus. I've done all these things. We all have something. Everybody say, I have something. When he said, I've done all these things, Jesus, I'm good. Eternal life is mine. And I think that's why he asked Jesus that question, because he knew he had lived by the letter of the law. And he knew he was in good standing. And I think he wanted a pat on the back. I think he wanted an attaboy. Who enjoys those? We all do. It makes our heads swell a little bit, but we like being told that we do a good job. We like being told that we're pretty. We like being told that we're handsome. We like being told that we're losing weight in most cases. You look a little thinner. You working out? Well, no. must be just... I'm good. It makes us feel good. And I think that's what the guy was after. But then Jesus comes back with, you think you're good. We all said, I have a thing, right? We all have a thing. Jesus said, sell everything you've got, give it to the poor, and come follow me. Now, we gloss over that part sometimes. Sell everything you've got. I want you to think about that for a minute. Think about if you had to sell everything that you have. No, we're not taking up an offering. (laughs) But think about that. Your car, your house, most of your clothing. Just take a duffel and follow Jesus. Your cologne, your TVs, your DVD players, your book collection, your knickknacks, your trolls, your whatever... Whatever you have, your China collection. (laughs) My mom collected porcelain dolls. Anybody else do that? They're like a hundred bucks a piece, man. Man, those things are expensive. Sell all that stuff, all your tools, all your, your guns, your bows, if anybody has those things. Whatever you have, sell it all and take the money and give it away. And then come follow me. And the Bible said the dude dropped his head and went away sorrowful. He was sad. Because Jesus touched that one thing. He came there looking for a pat on the back. He came there looking for the attaboy. But he listened to the wonderful counselor. But he couldn't do what the wonderful counselor said. He looked at this guy. And he saw his sickness. He saw his love for material things. He had kept the law. He was great. But he loved his stuff. And Jesus found that one thing. And Jesus told him what he didn't want to hear. Because he loved him. And he cared for him. And he saw that one thing that could destroy him. It's not bad having stuff. Nice house, nice car, whatever. It's not bad having those things. It's only bad if you love them. Money is not the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. That's what the scripture says. Money is not evil. What it's used for is evil. The love of it is evil. The dude wasn't sinning having things, but what was in his heart was going to prevent him from being who God was going to call him to be. 
And he had to walk away from that moment when Jesus told him something to do. What will the wonderful counselor tell me today? What will he tell you today? If you're honest with him and tell him where you really, he sees it anyway. But if you admit to him where you really are, how you really hurt, what you're really going through. If you listen to him, he will speak to you. And he's going to tell you how to deal with what you're going through. He may tell you to end a relationship that you're in. He may tell you to walk away from a destructive, abusive, unhealthy relationship. He may tell you to take the new job and leave the security of where you are. He may tell you not to take the new job and stay exactly where you are because where he wants you to be. He may tell you to let something go. He may tell you to change your vocabulary. The power of life and death exists in our tongue. You're either speaking life or you're speaking death. He may tell you to change your vocabulary. He may tell you to change your lifestyle. He may tell you to get married. He may tell you that this isn't the one for you to marry. He may tell you not to buy that house or car. He may tell you to buy the house or car. You see what I'm doing here? I'm not telling anybody to do anything. I'm just telling you he, what he might tell you to do. It's choice A or choice B. He may tell you, and he will tell you this one, that your finances, your, your struggle will not change until you put him first. And the, the thing about this is, a lot of what he will tell you is something that you probably already know. You just don't want to do. But he's going to tell you those things because he loves you and he cares about you. And where you are right now, the pain you feel, he feels that. And he doesn't want to feel it anymore. And he doesn't want you to feel it anymore. He doesn't want you to feel the frustration, the agony, the bitterness, the anxiety, the fear, the depression. He doesn't want you to feel those things. He may tell you something that you don't want to hear because he loves you. What I do know is this, and this is something that you're going to hear around here a lot. The wonderful counselor will accept you just as you are. You don't have to be good to come to him. He'll accept your big mess, your sick and hurting mess. But what he promises to do is to never, ever leave you like that. He is going to help you get better. He understands how you feel. He sees exactly where you are. He sees everything. So he already knows. But when we go to him, we need to be brutally honest. God, I'm struggling. I am hurting. I don't understand. I think if you, if you can say anything about us here, is that we're pretty transparent. Pastor Andrew did an amazing job last week being very transparent. And it was beautiful. We do a very good job, I think, being transparent. But that's only to let you know is that that's how you can be with Jesus. It's completely transparent. Take your church face off. Take your I'm going out of the house face off. 
when you're talking to him, when you're going to him with, with your stuff, when you're going to him with your junk, you want to have your I'm in the house and nobody sees me face on, even if you are in public. Because I do know that we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glory. We're all in that boat together. We're all in this together. Right? We are. Am I my brother's keeper? Yeah, I am. Are we each other's keepers? Yeah, we are. So show show some love. Show some concern. Show some compassion. And don't be like, text them when you got here. Do you see how they were crying today? Something must be going on. Really, Sherlock? This place is safe. This is where we can take the public face off and put the real face on and say, Jesus, I am struggling. I need help. I'm sick with fear and anxiety and worry or bitterness or hatred or whatever it is or a lack or I'm caught up in this. I don't know how to get out. He knows how you feel. He understands your struggle. The ball today is firmly in our court. He knows. He's our high priest that understands how we feel and what we're thinking. But we have to be brutally honest with him. Tell him what you're struggling with. I need to pray about this. I need help with this. And then we listen to his voice. And then we got to pull a James and be a doer of the word. When he speaks to us and tells us, you know the right thing to do already. In most cases, you know what the right thing to do is. In some cases, you don't. You don't know about the job or the house or the car or how to deal with this pain that you're feeling. You may not have all the answers to that, but in some cases, you know. But whatever the answer is, the dude that Jesus said, sell everything you have, he said that. Nobody, you don't have to sell everything you have and give it away. That's not the point. The point is, he's going to find the one thing in your life that you don't want to change that you don't want to give up, that you don't want to address, and he's going to say, this is it. Take care of this and come follow me. At that point, your life's going to change. When you let Jesus have that thing, purpose is going to follow. Fulfillment is going to follow. It's not going to be perfect because in this world you will have trouble. But take heart because you're walking with him and he's already overcome it, so he's going to help you through it purpose and fulfillment will come when you give him that one thing. We have to listen to what he says. If you're ready for these things, your life will change for the better. Be brutally honest. Listen and do. And the wonderful counselor will help you through your situation. Let somebody know how special they are and what they add to your life. Be honest with Jesus. Listen to him when he talks to you and do what he says. The wonderful counselor. God bless y'all. Have a great week. Love you.